Today's guest on the Get More Success show is known as an ultra-practical visionary. She was born in Australia, went to Canada, came back here, and helps other people implement innovation, creativity, and strong leadership to create an environment where this can flourish, not just survive. She's also been described as a disarming table flipper. Let's find out how many tables she's actually flipped, as well as getting her understanding on what does it mean to have a blended workforce. Let's go to the show. Welcome to the Get More Success Show. He's a guy who never measured a man's success by the size of his what? It's showtime. 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 And now, here is your host, Warwick Mary. Welcome back to another episode of the Get More Success Show. I'm excited today because I have a guest on the show who coincidentally happens to have the same name as a favorite little holiday town of mine. More importantly, she is a global citizen. She's from Australia, grew up in Canada, has traveled all around the world and brings it all together into one powerful table flipping kind of conduit is what I have heard. I'm looking forward to speaking to you. Welcome to the show, Tathra Street. Hello. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Now I'm going to start off with that one question. Tathra, how do you, for someone who has done so much, lived so many places and done so many cool things, how do you define success? Yeah, this has certainly changed for me over time. And at the moment I think of success as having my vision for the world being enacted and embodied by others with passion and purpose. So I have a purpose to change the face of leadership. And so when there are others working passionately on that and that that aligns with their purpose as well, um, and that it's happening without me, I'm not needed. um, That's when I, I feel that my purpose has been successful. Fantastic. So I'm really interested because a lot of people talk about leadership, but, and, and knowing a little bit about you and some of the stuff that you're doing, where do you think that in Australia, our, and, and, and also globally, because you have that global perspective, what are the key areas that our leadership is lacking? The biggest area that I think leadership is lacking, well, there's two. One is um, the intent impact gap and an appreciation for the fact that our impact is often different than our impact. Or sorry, that our, yeah, they are, let me say that again, that our impact is different than our intent. And sometimes we can see that it's different, but we ignore it. And that gap continues to widen with unintended consequences. So it's a real lack of uh, recognition um, for interconnectedness, for the fact that, you know, when something happens over here, it has uh, an impact in a different place. Um, So that's one, the intent impact gap. Um, The other is distributed leadership. So the idea currently is that leadership is concentrated at the top of a hierarchy where in fact leadership is, it's not a title, it's not a location, it's, it's, it's a verb, it's, a, it's an action, it's, a, it's an attitude, it's, it's a recognition that I can take leadership in any realm, whether it's at home, as a parent, um, in my community, in my workplace, in my country. 
um, that I can be leadership rather than be a leader. And this idea that we can really all step up and take responsibility for a shared global future. Um, and that to me would make a massive difference in how we experience the world and the future we're heading for. And, and you'll often see the, for want of a better term, informal leaders. So the people who are explaining this, displaying this leadership, they're the ones who, if someone's going away, they're the one who says, right, let's do a whip around the office and get them a, a bunch of flowers. Or if someone's in hospital, a lot of the time, it's not the formal leader doing that. It's the informal person who understands the importance of those relationships. So how do we tap into that informal leadership and get those who uh, happy to just sit back and let it all happen without them to sort of go, actually, I have something valuable to contribute here. Yeah, I think it's, um, I mean, I guess it happens from a couple of different perspectives when, when they're within a hierarchy because our social realms do tend to be in hierarchies. Um, when there's a person in a position of power and authority making decisions for others um, and, and can have, can appreciate that there are people who work in their system that have that sort of informal leadership and when when they are not threatened by that and they can see that as a a way to empower and engage and and make broad sweeping change in for the for the good um, to i guess bring in a, a bit of a change model to to uh, see them as champions of change to see them as you know, sponsors that, that can um, embody the change and that, that it really cultivates what is existing in, in a social system already rather than trying to impose something from, it, from outside. The thing I loved about that was your, the concept of a leader being threatened by others within the organisation. How do we stop that? Like, because this is, this is what I see quite often people who are empire building and I'm the boss and we look, I only got to look at politics all around the world and you see this. So how do we get rid of that? And, and I suspect some of it's ego management, but also part of it is how do we really tap into these people? Cause how, we talk about employee disengagement where people turn up to work, they get their money and then they go home mm -hmm. where work's questionable. I suspect some of this is because they're like, well, I just, what's the point of doing anything good because yep. it steals the credit and I don't give a stuff anyway. Yep. How do we, how do we get rid of this threatened feeling that our leaders and or managers can often have? Look, I think um, courageous conversations and continual feedback are two really important pathways to that. So where someone sees a power dynamic that's not healthy or that is not producing the results that's intended to to say so and to especially people who are at a peer level or perhaps like a mentor role where you can see that this is happening and no one's talking about it find a way to have you know the courageous conversation and, and say look this is what I can see that's going on I can see that you are not intending for this to happen but when you act this way, this is, this is what happens. Um, and, you know, maybe it's about saying it, it occurs as though you feel threatened and um, that's, you know, not, not effective in your, uh, in your role as a leader or in your role uh, in this position of power and authority. And I think it's also, you know, we need to really uncouple uh, and uncollapse 
power, authority, and leadership. I would kind of see them as all the same thing, and they're really not. So when people who are, are, are in positions of authority recognize the power that they have and, and can understand the, you know, the difference between social power and per, um, a positional power, and that, that source of uh, longevity comes from the, the, the social, or sorry, the personal power, that sense of purpose, that sense of self, that sense of, I don't need to worry about, you know, other people coming and stealing my power because I, I know that, that I have that within me. Um, yeah, so I, I think there's a number of things there. The power intelligence is, is a big one, the courageous conversations, um, and, and feedback seeking. So asking, you know, is what I'm doing hitting the mark? Is, um, you know, how is what I'm doing landing for people? Um, being curious about the actual impact is, again, that's a really great way to close that intent impact gap. So one of the issues I would see would be this, approachability of some leaders because some leaders sort of essentially they close their door like it's it's a physical barrier like i really don't want to hear what you've got to tell me i'm doing stuff so how can we be more open to it because i get if you've got a peer coming to you say hey a couple of things i've noticed you might not intend this to happen but sometimes it comes across as mm -hmm. versus a direct line report or even one frontline staff which might be two or three down you're not going to go to your boss two or three levels up and go, yeah. by the way, you're doing this <laughs> because it's like, there's the door, bye-bye. So as, as leaders, be us formal or informal leaders, how can we be more approachable and open to some of this feedback? There's a fantastic tool called the Diamond Power Index, which helps people in positions of power see how other people experience their use of that authority. And one of the scales in there is approachability. And so it's a, it's a very well-tuned, um, well well-created scientific tool that incorporates, uh, it's like a multi-rater tool similar to 360 feedback, but different um, and very focused on how people's perceptions of their, their use of power. So it really helps them understand um, instead of you know, having to rely on someone who's in a, um, a subordinate position coming to them because that's, that's not going to happen, like you say, um, and giving them a chance to do uh, engage in the, the survey as part of the, 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 um, uh, the developing the index and, and give anonymous feedback that is uh, strictly numerical and helps people not just see how they're seen by others, but also where they rate in terms of their own power intelligence and their own use of power with everyone else who's done it across the planet. It's, um, it's a fantastic tool and it's uh, something I'm really excited about. One of the things I know that you do and that we, we've talked about just previously is difficult conversations and get, getting better at those. Uh, my personal belief is the questions you ask are what really leads to, to your success but sometimes we don't feel we can have these difficult conversations and ask those challenging questions. What are, from your experience, what are some of the best ways to support or be open to di difficult conversations or to initiate di digital conversations from both positions, either the, the superior or the re person who reports to them? How do we make difficult conversations easier and more successful? Well, in the workshop I run on difficult conversations, we talk about it from two perspectives, the giving and the receiving. And that's, this is the, you know, the feedback stuff as well. So um, making it easy for people. If you have a sense that someone is struggling to, to tell you something, 
give them a lot of space, give them, you know, give them a sense that it's actually safe for them to say what they have to say and that you actually want to hear it and that you rely on information such as what they're, they're, they're offering. So feedback seeking behavior is really important from a leadership perspective um, and that it makes it, um, it, it uh, I guess, makes a part of the culture. Um, the other thing is when you are, Having, when you're approaching a conversation, when you are coming to someone who may be in a position of authority or you know, higher than you in a hierarchy, um, what I call setting up the listening. And so it's identifying that, you know, this, this is kind of hard for me to say, or I'm feeling a bit vulnerable by sharing this with you, but giving them a sense that there is something for them to pay attention to in a different way. And, you know, it could be, you know, can we have a chat? I've got something that I want to talk to you about. And, you know, often that sends red flags. Um, but it's, it's certainly worth identifying um, the gravity of it, that, that it might be a challenging thing to express um, so that the person who is receiving the information can stop, focus, be present, and really hear what's being said. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, because I think, you know, these difficult conversations are difficult. Like I remember there was one of my clients, the CEO would smoke in the office on weekends and after hours, and like, and that's illegal. And they'd leave cigarette butts and I had to have a conversation with them. And I'm just like, oh man, if this goes wrong, I'm gone. Um, but a valuable, they're, they're nearly always worthwhile, even if you don't get the result that you want. The self-esteem you feel by initiating a conversation is always a valuable thing. And I think having it as a practice, doing it regularly, it's, it's kind of like yoga or running, like the more you do it, the easier it gets. Um, and they become less difficult, especially if you do them early and nip it in the bud rather than letting it become that thing you're avoiding. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Hey, I want to just do a bit of a sidestep here and talk about you. So you were born in Australia and then went to Canada. Like, is that something you chose to do? Did you go as with your family and you just dragged along? So my, my parents split up when I was five. My mum's Canadian, my dad's Australian. So my mum took us back to Canada with her. And so I grew up there. And then as an adult, I got to decide to come back. And I've been back for 15 years now. Okay. How are the cultural values different from Canada to us? Because I know a lot of my Canadian friends who are definitely not American uh, <laughs> um, will just go, look, there's a lot of similarities, but there's a lot of differences. How have you found it from a business point of view? Mm. What are the cultural differences? One of the things that drew me back here was the innovative approach that I feel like is more alive in Australia than my experience of Canada. Look, I, I also recognize that the lens I was looking at my, my professional experience in Canada was through a not-for-profit perspective. And that's the first half of my career was in the not-for-profit um, sector. Um, and when I came back here, I felt I had um, more, and look, I don't know if it would have been different if I'd stayed in Canada, but, but coming back here, I, I felt like, perhaps some of the isolation of Australia enables an experience of that kind of have a go attitude where you just, you know, um, she'll be right, mate, give it a go, see what happens. Um, and I feel like innovation exists here in a, in a more amplified way than, than in Canada where we're a bit more cautious, a bit more apologetic, a bit more nice. Um, 
But I also think that there's a, um, from a multicultural perspective, Canada has a, a greater sort of acceptance of difference and different ways of thinking and different cultures. Whereas in Australia, we're a bit more racist. It occurs to me and from my conversations that Canada is more inclusive, be it of race, just whatever differences you've got. It's like, yeah, you're part of the melting pot. Absolutely. Whereas you look for the difference first. Yeah. Um, Do you think that this, she'll be right, mate, uh, because, you know, innovation's a big part of what you're doing in terms of the table flipping disruptor. Uh, (laughs) And I love, can I just, I love that description. I think that's fantastic. Um, Have you actually ever flipped tables on a client? Uh, Just in my mind. (laughs) I think we've all had those kind of visualizations. So the she'll be right approach, do you think that that's, because one of the issues with innovation here is we'll do some great stuff and then sell it offshore because there's no government funding or there's no, it's, it's so hard to get that backing. How long do you think that's going to last until the should be right, mate, is just punched down because you get to a certain point and you can't go any further? Well, that's, that's what top party syndrome is all about. And, you know, I think, um, Look, there's 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 benefits and drawbacks to everything, and so you know the Shuli Right Made attitude enables us to to take risks and to to try new things, but it also um, can gloss over uh, risks that probably perhaps need a bit more attention. Um, and look, there is a risk of not supporting innovation um, and not supporting difference and inclusion and that sort of thing. Um, and I think the more that we can look at what we're doing from a systemic perspective and, and where the unintended outcomes are things that we actually pay attention to, um, we will have uh, a greater ability to retain our innovations um, rather than, um, you know, uh, put them in a position where they feel like they need to be sort of, you know, sent offshore or whatever. Um, I think there's a lot of work for us to do in this country to support entrepreneurs. I feel like some of that work is being done, um, but from a cultural perspective, I think there's there's just a lot of different ways to support business that are, I kind of feel like it's almost this ideological um, blind spot that we've got that, uh, you know, just kind of has people just, I think of the words um it's almost like you've got to kind of do what you do in isolation and if it's successful great and someone sort of picks it up and runs with it but but integrating that more into society integrating the idea that we can bring business ideas into a place where people will uh you know be able to give you feedback in a way that encourages you and gets you sort of going into the next iteration um yeah, I don't know. I, just, I, feel, I feel like there's a lot more that we could do to support new ideas. Yeah. So fr- from a, a business and an individual and, an, and a, an entrepreneurial mindset kind of view, what can we do to try and be more inclusive and shift from a tall poppy to an all poppy kind of <laughs> uh, community where it's like, great, you're taller than us, fantastic. You're shorter, you're wider, you're different color, you're different flavor you know how do we be more supportive and and be more inclusive yeah it's a good question um i guess where i come at it from is so with 
the human-centered leadership framework that I have, I've got a number of different pillars. Um, the first one being emotional intelligence, so how we engage um, both with ourselves and, and with individuals um, from like, you know, empathy and empathetic leadership, etc. Uh, and then the next level is the power intelligence. So recognizing those power dynamics we were talking about earlier. Uh, and then the next one is worldview intelligence, recognizing different perspectives, appreciating different perspectives, being inclusive. It's not just about diversity, add different thinking and stir. It's how do we create environments where people are actually interested in bringing different ideas rather than, you know, the, um, it all being the same and sort of a, a bit of a, a yes men kind of approach. Um, so I think it's, it's perhaps a curiosity, a, a taking responsibility for um, learning the ways that, um, that we can have other ideas be more valued. Um, and then the, the, the bigger picture beyond that is, and the final pillar is collective intelligence. So I'm interested in, as a futurist, I'm interested in how we make decisions together how, and, and, you know, partly with my role as a facilitator, I, I love generating collective intelligence and, and, and helping people make better decisions um, as, as small groups. And that as a sort of microcosm of the macrocosm, our ability as human beings to make different decisions about the future that we're going to create on this planet. Um, so I think, again, it, it, it looks at that intent impact gap. What is it? What is it? It, that's actually happening and how can we learn from that to do something differently? How can we ask different questions that might bring in different people? Um, have you heard about the, uh, the YouTube? When YouTube was first coming out, they had um, an issue where sometimes videos would be upside down. No. And, and so they couldn't figure out why this was happening. And what they realized is that everyone on the team to, to do the orientation for videos being uploaded from phones was right-handed. And the, the people who were uploading them uh, that were upside down were left-handed. And so it's, it's not about you know, gender and race and ability and you know, all of those different things. Sometimes it's, it's you know, what hand you know, do you use? Um, so yeah, it's, getting curious about that kind of thing, learning from these kinds of things and finding out what lies outside of our peripheral vision that we, if we could see it, would help us make different choices. And that's like what you were saying before is we don't want just lots of people who are different, put them all in the same pot and blend them so that everyone's exactly the same, but appreciate mm -hmm. the differences and what, what are the advantages of that? Was that the driving force behind your new blend mastermind group that you're starting? Well, it's interesting because when, um, so yeah, Philippe Guichard and I have, have created a, a mastermind group um, and we were just talking about, you know, the, the, the blend of different types of people. And then we thought, Oh, the blend, let's call it that. So, so we've named it uh, the blend and it's, it's very much about the different kinds of people who, especially, so it's, it's specifically for entrepreneurs who want to have, um, you know, honest feedback from um, people who are on the same journey as them. Cause often uh, entrepreneurs are misunderstood and are surrounded by people who are in an employee mindset. And so they get this kind of, um, uh, they're just not yeah people don't understand the, the the journey so being in a peer group where everyone um trusts each other 
bringing the different perspectives and getting that kind of feedback that you just wouldn't get anywhere else. So that's, that's kind of the, the blend that we, um, that we're. So it's a different perspective, but a common framework. So we can understand yeah. that feedback. Um, Cause I, I, my wife is an employee and she has the employee mindset and the money goes in the bank every fortnight. She gets paid every fortnight. So she doesn't understand this whole concept of, well, sometimes you don't get paid for a couple of months and then there's money everywhere for a couple of months and it's a different approach. Yeah. So to have a common framework has to add some value. Absolutely. Catherine, it's been fantastic speaking with you today. Um, before we go, I just want to know, what are two things you wish you'd known earlier? In your journey of life and business, what are the two things that you wish you'd known earlier or did earlier or did differently so our listeners can shortcut some pain and, and take advantage of your experience? I wish I'd known that it saves money to ask other people to do things that I'm not good at. I could, I could spend five hours on creating a really crappy logo and someone else um, that's got that skill could do it in half an hour. And that's far more cost effective than trying to do it myself, especially when you're starting out, you feel like you got to do it all yourself because you can't afford to um, pay someone, but trust me, it's just not true. <laughs> so that's one thing you got any others? Um, I think just asking for help, getting mentors, asking people who have been down that path and, and getting, um, yeah, different perspectives from different people from, from different walks of life. I think the other thing is about, um, I wish I'd known that mentoring is a mutual endeavor and that, um, when I'm mentoring people, I learn a lot about, you know, people from a, a you know, that are at a different stage uh, in the journey and that they've got a different sort of um, relationship to things like technology and systems and, you know, business models. It's, it's great. I love it. Um, but that if I, if I were more able to accept that help when I was younger, I also felt like, oh, I couldn't ask for help because it was a burden on other people. People love giving. I love supporting new entrepreneurs. I love, um, you know, being able to help other people. So I would, I would say ask for help more often, especially when you feel least inclined. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today. If people want to get in touch with you, find out more about you, find out more about the Blend Mastermind Group and some of the other things that you do, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Tathrastreet.com is my website, um, easy to find on social media with my unusual name. So I'm uh, on Facebook and LinkedIn, occasionally on Twitter and Instagram, you're more likely to see puppies and flowers and stuff. But uh, yeah, feel free to get in touch. Who doesn't love puppies and flowers? I've got to tell you, my dog, Winston, the Wonder Poodle, he is out there on force. Yeah, dogs are a, a great companion. Absolutely. He's my head of marketing. <laughs> I love it. Thanks so much for the opportunity to speak with you today. Thanks so much for being on the show. You've been listening to another episode of the Get More Success Show with your host, Warwick Merry. I look forward to your company next time. Thanks for listening to the Get More Success Show with Warwick Merry. Continue the conversation with other successful people over at getmoresuccess.com. That's where you'll find all the show notes as well as a link to our Facebook group that we'd love for you to join. Getmoresuccess.com is also where you'll find all the information you need to connect with me, your host, Warwick Merry. Thanks for listening, and until next time, enjoy your success. <laughs>